Today's Bible reading is in Acts verses nine, chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who were journeying with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts 9, verses 1 through 16. Well, we are here. We have been spending the last 10 Sundays on an introduction into the book of Romans. And now we enter into the book of Romans. Well, that's right. If you can turn to Romans chapter 1, and amazingly, we'll start in verse 1. Romans 1, verse 1. Now, we will enjoy this. It may be a slow journey, but we will have a good journey together studying this book. There was a uh, King George V, King George V, in his later years of his reign, it was his custom to broadcast a Christmas message to the entire empire. And one of the places he would send this broadcast was America. And during one of the broadcasts, the ears of the world were waiting to hear the voice, and an engineer observed that an important wire had snapped, had broken, and that America was cut off from hearing the message. And suddenly, the mechanic realized what he needed to do. He seized both broken wires, and holding one in each hand, he was able to complete the circuit which permitted the message to be transmitted to the United States. 
In other words, the king had a message, and he was sending it to America, and it had to go through this engineer. Now, that is exactly what's going to be going on as we study the book of Romans. That's going to go on from the first chapter, verse 1, all the way to the 16th chapter. It will be all about how the message comes through from God to you and through you. The message of God coming through you, to you, through you, to others. If, 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 if you keep the message of Romans to yourself, I will kick you. No, I won't kick you. I will be very disappointed. The message of Romans is to go through you. It's to go through you. In other words, I'm going to give you bits and pieces every Sunday for the next several Sundays to communicate to those that need to know about God. Now, one of the things that the book of Romans did was... Paul was writing to a group of Christians in Rome that he had never seen before. He didn't know them. He hadn't spent time with them. They, he didn't know them. They didn't know him. They'd heard about him, but he didn't know him. And he didn't know what they knew. It's like the first Sunday with a new pastor, you know? He, he doesn't know what to say because he doesn't know where you're at. So, Paul has to write a very long introduction into his letter. It's the longest introduction of any letter he writes. Because every, light, every letter he writes to other people, they know him. But the Romans don't know him, so he has a long introduction to give to them. Okay, so here we go. Got several questions we're going to start with. First off, who is the author of the book? Who is the author of the book of Romans? Well, the easy answer is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Even those that disagree with Paul agreed that Paul wrote the book of Romans. It is really of no debate anywhere who wrote the book of Romans. So, Paul is the author of this book. He's only referred to once in the book in verse 1. That's the only time, the only time he's mentioned specifically. In chapter 11, he claims to be from the tribe of Benjamin. In chapter 16, he writes greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, who Paul met at Corinth when he left Ephesus on his second missionary journey. Paul talks about his trip to Jerusalem, talks about giving a love gift of money to help Israel get through a hardship. And he mentions several times his intention of wanting to visit Rome. So he writes to the book, to the Romans, with the book of Romans. He writes to Rome, the book of Romans. You knew what I meant. Here we go. 
When was the book of Romans written? When did he write the book of Romans? Well, he wrote the book of Romans in 57 AD from the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth. And this was during his third missionary journey. His first missionary journey went to a small group of towns. His second group went to those same towns and a bigger group. And then third missionary journey, he went to a very large trip, spent the most time, and he stayed in Corinth. And one of the times he was in Corinth, he wrote to the church in Rome. The church in Rome seemed to need his understanding that he wanted to communicate to them and his desire to come visit them. Now, this is the sixth letter that gets written and placed in our Bibles. The first letter Paul writes is to Galatians, and he wrote that in 49 A.D. Then he wrote to 1 Thessalonians in 50 A.D. Then he wrote to 2 Thessalonians 52 A.D. Then he wrote to 1 Corinthians in 55 A.D. And then probably another letter which we don't have in our Bibles, or a second letter that we don't have in our Bibles. And then to 2 Corinthians in 56 A.D. And then to Rome. So Romans is the sixth book that he writes. He's never been there, but he writes them and begins talking to them what they need to know about Jesus Christ. So, next question. What is going on in the church of Rome? What's going on? Well, first thing you need to know is that they're just beginning being a church, and they're a mixed congregation. A mixed congregation. In other words, there were Gentiles and Jews that were part of this church. Now, in chapter 16, he writes a number of greetings. And there's one place, one verse, where he mentions two separate churches in Rome. So he mentions two people, and he says, I want you to greet everybody that meets with you. And then he talks to another couple of people, and he says, I want you to greet everybody that meets with you. So there seems to be a large number of synagogues in, in Rome, seven of them, huge number of Gentiles, and then it seems that there are two young churches that Paul writes to. He's never been to, he doesn't know them, he knows a few people, but he doesn't know everyone, and everyone doesn't know him. And he writes to them the basic things of the gospel. Very basic things. So, there are times he writes in his letter and he mentions Jewish people. And there are times in his letter, Romans, he mentions Greek or uh, Gentiles. So he, taught, he knows there are two different kinds of groups of people, of cultures in the churches. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? You don't have to have the same culture 
to be in one church. Some of you can like country music and still be part of this church. You can like, you well, whatever culture it is, you bring to the table, you can make it in the church. We can get along. We can get along. Here you go. What's next? What's the theme, the main themes of the book of Romans? The main themes of the book of Romans. Now, that, now if you're traveling, uh, let's say, in western Kansas someplace, and you go and you, you stop and you're talking to somebody and you find out where you stopped happens to be a group of believers and they don't know anything about the Bible. What would you teach them first about the Bible? How would you teach them? And that's what Paul does. The first thing Paul starts with and really seems to be a major theme throughout the entire book, is the gospel message. He says this is what the gospel is. And he explains what the gospel is. And it goes all through the book of Romans. If you thought you knew what the gospel was, you will learn things as we study through the book of Romans. You will learn about every aspect of your salvation as we study the book of Romans. So we will see a number of things about the gospel. Uh, it seems like in chapter 16, verse 2, that Phoebe is the one who takes the letter of Romans to Rome. It seems that he planning on visiting Rome and then wants to go to Spain after he visits Rome. So he wants to inform them of his plans and tell them about the gospel. He's eager to preach the gospel. Verse 1, uh, chapter 15, verse 15, chapter 1. He talks about wanting to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So he has a number of things. Second, all throughout his book, he talks about being a servant or being a slave or being a bond slave. He talks about serving. <clears throat> the primary division he has is he has being a slave to sin and a being a slave to Jesus Christ. But that is an overflowing theme throughout the entire book. So if you want to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ and how you live with Him and serve Him, the book of Romans will be your book. And you will learn how to serve Jesus Christ as we go through this book. There are a number of other things that he talks about, but it's interesting. He talks about serving from his own life in chapter 1 and his own life in chapter 15. And we will see a large number of sermons on servanthood. Third. Third is unity. Unity. Now, we seem to be unified as a church. 
but we will learn how to be super unified as a church. We will learn how to get along with others. We will learn how to get along with people who like country music. We'll learn how to get along with people who are vegetarians. We will learn how to get along with people who like granola for breakfast or whatever. Whatever the differences are in our church, we will learn how to get along better. Now, like I said, there's a large number of Jews in the church and a large number of Gentiles. They seem to be on the cutting edge of unifying together and they have problems. And we'll learn about their problems and we'll learn how to fix their problems. And if any problems like that occur in our church, we'll learn how to deal with them and how to solve them. Not just to say, well, that's just so-and-so. We'll learn how to love the differences that we have and get along. So we have, we have three things. We have the gospel message, we have service, servanthood, and we have church unity. Uh, he'll, he'll talk about how to get along, how to love one another, how to serve Christ, how to be a stronger believer. So how are we going to organize this? Well, there are a lot of different outlines we could make, but I put it this way. I made it this way. There's going to be a number of sermons on the ministry of justification, talking about our salvation, from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 5, verse 11. Then in verse 12 of chapter 5, we will start with talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Jesus Christ does for our salvation, how he worked in our salvation. And we'll start in chapter 5, verse 12, and we'll go on to chapter 8, verse 39. Then we'll talk about the ministry of righteousness. And we'll talk primarily about God's righteousness and how it gets along with us, and how it gets along with differences, and how it gets along with Israel. And it'll begin in chapter 9, verse 1, and it'll go until chapter 11, verse 36. Then we'll talk about the ministry of the church the ministry of the church, chapter 12, verse 1, and it will go down to the chapter 15, verse 13, verse 13. So that's how we'll explain the outline. There are a number of different ways you can break up this book. But since I talked to the elders, my goodness, how long ago was it? year and a half ago, year and a half ago, we decided to go into Romans. I have been working on Romans. I have been doing a lot of work on Romans. If I ever had free time, I worked on Romans. And I've gone through the entire book, and I've divided it up in how I can preach it. So, here you go. You are here for the first Sunday. Years from now, you will look back and say, I was there at the beginning. Okay? I've come up with 120 sermons. Okay? 120 sermons. We'll get from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 16, the last verse. And we will get through it in 120 
Sundays. Today's the first. You will enjoy it. It'll be fun. We will go through it. 120. Uh, we'll take some breaks off. Uh, we'll take a Mother's Day every once in a while. And we'll take a summer break. We'll take a Christmas break. But we will pretty much go from beginning to end. And we will have a good time. Now, it will be fun. It will be fun. In the worship folder, you had a second insert. I want you to take a moment and notice that second insert. It's a funny-looking, actually, it's a table from WordPerfect of the outline put in a different format. So what you have on that top row is basically the work of salvation. You got, what's the first one? Justification? Condemnation. Condemnation. Then you got justification, right? Would be, it would help if I had a copy of it. And then you got sanctification, right? Isn't that the third one? Okay. So you got those at the top. Then you got the uh, problem with Israel and God's answer to that. And, and then at the end, you got the church. And all those subpoints that you see in all that page is the different parts of the sermon outline. In other words, uh, what's the first part? What's it say? Yes, what's the first part? Salutation. The salutation, there you go. The salutation is seven verses long. But we're not going to be able to get that in one Sunday. Yeah, no, I'm done. We're not, going to get, we're not going to get it done in one Sunday, seven verses. So we're going to hopefully get done just verses one and two today. There will be times where every point on there may take a number of Sundays. But each Sunday, we will go through this outline and work our way through the book. So that when you get to Sermon 56 you know we're at Sermon 56, and we're halfway through. Everybody with me? Okay, let's pray, and we'll start our sermon. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us now as we study your word. I pray, Father, that we would apply your word to our lives for your glory and honor. I praise you and thank you, Father, for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Can you imagine if you met, if you, <laughs> you didn't know, but you just met a group of believers? And they didn't have a Bible. They didn't know anything about Christianity. But they believed in Jesus Christ. Where would you start? Where would you start your letter? If you're going to write to them, where would you start? Paul begins by talking about his relationship with Jesus Christ. 
He talked about his relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to begin witnessing to anybody you, that doesn't know Jesus Christ? You want to witness to anybody? You tell them about your relationship with Jesus Christ. What's he say? He says, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. How does Paul establish a relationship with believers at the church of Rome? He begins describing himself as a humble believer. As a humble believer. He says... I am a bond servant. A bond servant, in case you didn't know, is a slave who runs out of using his seven years of slavery and decides he wants to stay with his master. And he willingly <clears throat> decides to stay forever with his master. <laughs> Old Testament, he says, you get his earlobe, you punch a hole in his earlobe, and you know that he's a bondservant. Paul says, I am a bondservant. I am forever going to be the slave of Jesus Christ. He says, that is my master. That is my Lord. That is the one I follow. I owe everything to him, and I will give him everything. And I will serve him. And I'll be his slave forever and ever. Always his slave. He begins by talking about his humility. He shows willingness to use, be used by God as an instrument. He says, I will be completely and utterly devoted to Jesus Christ. I will be a slave that has an honorable master. Now, Jesus Christ, King of the universe, that's a good job to have. Matter of fact, sometimes in Rome, they, they say there's about 70% of the Romans at this time are slaves. And matter of fact, there are some slaves in the household of Caesar that are high-class slaves. And it said there's, there are noble women, free women, who would actually marry a slave to be upper ranked in society. Because if you're a, married to a slave in the Caesar's household, that puts you up higher than you could possibly be as a free woman. But anyway, you being a slave of Jesus Christ puts you higher than being a slave in Caesar's household. When you put yourself and say, I will totally give myself to Jesus Christ and I will do whatever he says, you have moved yourself up. And at the same time, being humble. Same time saying, I will submit to someone else. All believers, when you come to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you serve Jesus. You serve Jesus. Second, notice what it says. Called as an apostle. Called as an apostle. So, second thing, how does Paul establish a relationship with believers in the Church of Rome? He says, second, a believer is one with authority. The believer is a one with authority. The authority he has is as an apostle. As an apostle. Paul says he has a special call to ministry. And his calling took place during the scripture reading. Remember that? 
on the road to Damascus, he saw a light. He was blinded by a light. He heard the voice of Jesus Christ speaking. And he surrendered himself to Jesus Christ. He didn't volunteer for it. He didn't ask for it. It wasn't placed upon him. He didn't buy it. God chose him as an apostle. Now, it's an interesting thing talking about apostles. In, in the Bible, there are uh, the 12 apostles picked by Jesus. There is, there is Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, who was replaced by Matthias, who took over Judas's spot, so there were 12. Paul says he's 13. I'm another apostle. There's one place where it talks about Barnabas being an apostle. And it talks about in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is an apostle. So those are the only people that are called apostles. Those are the ones who have been given a special mission by Jesus Christ to do the work of being an apostle. Being someone who is sent on Jesus' behalf. Now, you may have a business card that says you're an apostle, but biblically speaking, there are no apostles in this room. Right? Okay. But guess what? In this room, each one of us have been chosen by God. You have heard the gospel message and you've repented of your sins and you place yourself under the leadership of your new master. Your new master, by the way, gives you an assignment, a message to give that gives you an authority. We call it the Great Commission. The end of Matthew, go into the world, preach the gospel, making disciples of everyone. That is your assignment. That is your message. That is where your authority comes from. You have a mission tomorrow to preach the gospel. Why? Because Jesus told you to. Because all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. And he wants you to share the message. So, we may not have apostles in this room, but we got messengers in this room. And you come with authority. Your message comes with authority. Now, you do two things when you talk to people. You come humbly. You're a bond slave. You come with authority. Your message comes from the king of kings. And you share that message with anyone that will listen to you tomorrow. Because you may be the only one that will share with them the truth. And you share it with them. You're sent with delegated authority. You believe in Jesus Christ. So here we go. Third, end of verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. How does Paul establish a relationship with the believers in the church of Rome? Third, a believer is powerful. A believer is powerful. You not only come humbly to whoever you meet tomorrow, you not only come with authority, a message to give to them, but you also come with power. With power. 
Notice the verb there, set apart. It is perfect tense passive. In other words, you are given this set apart. You do not choose it. It is given to you by God or Jesus Christ. And you have it from that day of salvation forever. You don't lose it. You have the gospel message to give. And your duty tomorrow is to share the gospel message. Everybody with me? You tracking? Oh, you don't look like you're tracking. Here, let me give you an illustration. I am Bill Gates, and I'm giving you all, every person here, a car dealership. You now have a car dealership, okay? Uh, Whatever cars you want, Fords, Dodges, Toyotas, whatever car you want, you now have a dealership of cars. First thing you need to do is what? You need to hire salesmen, and you need customers. Now, you're sitting in your office hiring salesmen. Let's say you just find one guy, Fred. And he's a great salesman. He talks a lot. He's very outgoing. He sounds like a perfect salesman for your car. You hire Fred, and he goes out and he says, okay, I will sell you cars. And you see him out in the parking lot cleaning bumpers of the cars. Okay, well, cleaning bumper, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with cleaning bumpers. But what happens When the customers come into the parking lot, he keeps on cleaning bumpers. And he doesn't sell cars. A lot of Christians are caught up doing good things, but they're not your job when the customers are here. You call Fred in your office, say, Fred, I hired you to sell cars. You're not meeting your quota. Sell, 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 sell. Whatever you do to encourage them. The next day, you see customers in the lot, and you see Fred cleaning bumpers. Cleaning bumpers, good thing. But it's not doing the job he's been picked for. God set you apart (laughs) with the gospel of God. To give good news to people. That is your job tomorrow. Wherever you go tomorrow, whatever people you meet tomorrow, let's say you go golfing tomorrow. The people you golf with are not there by chance. They're there to hear you talk about bumpers. No! They're here to talk about the gospel of God. That's the purpose. So, the believer is powerful because he has the gospel message behind him. He has a powerful message that God works with. God, through the power of the gospel message, will change lives. He will do great things if we will use, be used as a messenger. Set apart to sell God. The gospel of God. Believers are told in the book of Romans several times, uh, 1-7, 6-19, 6-22, 8-27, 11-16, 12-1, 12-2, 12 12 a lot of places in Romans, it talks about believers being set apart. 
you are set apart. If you're sitting here, you are set apart by God. That is your job, to share the gospel message, to fulfill the Great Commission. You are to work. Look at verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Holy Scripture is talking about the Old Testament. Only time it's used in the New Testament. It used to be the thing we saw on all the covers of the Bibles. It used to be Holy Scripture. Holy Scripture. But here it talks about the prophets in the Old Testament whose job was to preach the promise of the gospel. That's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So understand what's going on. You have Old Testament prophets whose job was to preach the gospel, get the people ready for God. And guess what? Now, with Jesus Christ, you have the full story. All the promises have been prepared and now have been caught up by the work of Jesus Christ so that you know everything you don't know the first two points of the gospel. You know all five points. You know it all. You know it all. You are not only an Old Testament prophet equal, you're a step better than an Old Testament prophet. Oh, man. If you're on a crowded row, look at all the prophets you got in your row. Look at this room. How many prophets we have. I don't know what you think is the best prophet, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, whoever the best prophet is, you're a step better than that prophet because you know the full gospel message through Jesus Christ. You are more powerful than an Ezekiel. You're more powerful than a Zechariah. You are it. But some of you are busy cleaning bumpers. Some of you are, are confused about what your job is. Bumpers are a really good thing to clean. But that's not why God set you apart. You're set apart to share the gospel of God who the prophets talked about. You are... Uh, okay, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Let me show you something real quick. This is a passage talking about Paul. He talks about being set apart by God. I want you to notice what goes on here with his relationship and God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, get to Ephesians, you've gone too far, turn to the left. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart, same thing he says in chapter 1, Romans, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased. In other words, what happened here was the first step that was taking place in Paul's life. Notice what he says. What took place with the gospel before his day of salvation God set him apart before he was even saved. He was set apart from his birth. God had a plan from him from his birth on. 
From his birth on, God had a plan. In other words, the theological term is predestination. He was predestined for that day of salvation when he was on the Damascus road. He was planned to be there by God. God worked that out in his life so that he would be pleased. Then, what was the work of the gospel on the day of his salvation? The gospel, the gospel was called to him. The gospel was presented to him. The gospel was given to him from his mother and called me through his grace. God's grace at point in time called the, you to him. Tomorrow, when you talk to that person and you share with them who Jesus Christ is, the gospel of God, God may be ready with them for that day to bring them into his grace. God works that way so that God will be pleased. And then the work of the gospel after the day of my salvation, verse 16, to reveal his son, that's your job tomorrow, reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles. Preach Jesus. That's what you got to do. Preach Jesus. Don't immediately consult with flesh and blood. Preach Jesus. Please, Jesus. you got to serve Jesus because he's your master and you're just a bondservant. Tomorrow, you want to have a purpose for living? Be a servant. Be <laughs> a preacher of the gospel of God. And God will be happy. Understand the privileges and responsibility of having a relationship with Jesus Christ so that I will display a humble servant-like attitude that I'll have a divine authority as his messenger so that I can finish the work of the gospel. And I can finish the work of the Old Testament prophets. You prophets, go and preach. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. I thank you, Father, for these two verses that begin this great book, teaching us, Father, how to serve you humbly, how to preach you with authority, how to preach you with power. I pray, Father, that you would help us tomorrow to be prophets to preach. We can't be apostles, but we can be prophets. And I pray, Father, we would do our job preaching tomorrow. Help us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to invite people back next Sunday so we can study more about Romans. I pray, Father, that you work through us so we can communicate your message to all of America. I pray, Father, that you would speak words through us for your glory and honor. I thank you, Father, for this time in your word. All glory goes to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.